0: If you guys are new and I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is JD, I am the Crosstalk Pastor here at Cypress Creek Church. I am very, very glad that you are here and that you've got, you got the chance to join us, whether you're here in person or whether you're on the stream, we are thankful to have the chance to worship with you. Um, today's a good day, guys. I, I'm excited. There are certain things that as, as a pastor, as someone who gets to teach, there's just certain things that get you going. This is, this is one of those things for me. And, and as I was processing uh, this series, and we're in a series called The Five Solas, which will kind of unpack the first of those solas today. Um, I, I was thinking and just kind of reflecting on, on being a follower of Jesus for, for now, gosh, going on more than half of my life. Kind of some of the things that you learn with that and some of the things that come with a lot of experience in life and, and seeing things done well and things, seeing things done not well. And uh, the longer I've been a follower of Jesus, the more I'm convinced that I think that we, that we experience two conversions in our life. And you're saying that doesn't make sense, JD, That so give me a second here, but I believe that the first is which is when we come to accept Christ, right? The spirit moves in our hearts, we understand the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and we give our lives to him, right? Our eternity is secure in Christ. For me, that happened when I was like a little tiny kid. I was in like third or fourth grade at a VBS at Northwest Bible Church in Hilliard, Ohio. Tiny little dude, right? The second conversion that I think that happens for us as as followers of Jesus is when we make Scripture the authority in our life. When we make scripture the authority in our life, and when I say that, what I really mean is that when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, and ultimately that is what we mean when we say make Jesus Lord is now at this point, we are living by what he says, not by what I say, right? We're making scripture, we're making God's word the authority for how we live our lives on a daily basis. And for me, although I knew Jesus from the time I was about this tall, and I could have told you all of the answers in Sunday school, God was not the Lord of my life until I was a senior in high school. Scripture only became the authority for me much, much later in life because I was just living by what made me happy. And when I started to live by God's standards, not my own standards, not my family's standards, not my friend's standards or culture's standards, when I started to to live by God's standards, ultimately what I found and understood is that what God had for me was more fulfilling and more joyful and had more meaning than what I could ever do for myself. And actually a perfect story uh, about this is that I've got a buddy of mine um, who he came to he came to know Christ as like a senior in high school, had this awesome salvation story, shares it with me. And then he tells me, we're actually talking exactly about, about this. And he goes, yeah. And then the next day I got busted on the train track smoking pot. He had come to understand that Jesus was for his eternity but Scripture was, no longer the, was not the authority in his life. That only came much, much later as he understood the authority of God's Word and what it meant to make Jesus the Lord of our life. And here's what I've realized. I think that when we accept Christ, for most of us, we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize our need for a Savior, but oftentimes we are skeptical that this Christian life is everything that it promises to be everything that it claims to be. And so we live this worldly life partaking in what we believe will make us happy. We smoke, we drink, we use foul language, we are not sexually pure, we gossip, we're petty, all of those things. And what we're looking for is the sense of fulfillment, the sense of happiness, the sense of joy, the sense of freedom that we believe that we'll find in these things and they end up leaving us more empty than when we started. And freedom and life, can only be found in Christ. When we make the Lord the authority in our lives, we find freedom and life to the fullest, the way life was intended to be for us. And for us to understand how to make the Lord the authority in our lives, we have to have a firm foundation on what our faith is built on as followers of Christ. And that starts, if you guys weren't here with us last week, that starts with an inflection point in history 503, well, I guess it was 600, it really started 600 years ago because the, the printing press was invented 600 years ago or uh, around 600 years ago. And it gave people access to the scriptures for the very first time. You see, at that time, before the printing press, if you were to come to church, you just had to receive whatever was being taught. You didn't know how to read. You didn't have access to the scriptures. So now for, for the very first time, the Bible was able to be accessed in the home. And in reading scriptures for himself, there was a monk named Martin Luther who began to see inconsistencies between how the church was acting and what he was reading in scripture. And that came out as a list of 95 things called the 95 theses, and these were nailed to the door of the Wittenberg church. And in that day, remember, there's no internet. And so that was a way of starting the conversation, right? Right? And instead of talking about it and instead of having a conversation, the church charged him with being a heretic and told him that unless he recanted or took back what he said, that they were actually going to kick him out of the church, that he no longer could be a part of the church. And what happened is it inadvertently started what we know as the Reformation, all of which we are products of, all of us. And what happened after that is that he was put on trial at what was called the Diet of Worms, which is weird. It's a cool trial name, Diet of Worms. And he was called to defend what he had written. And during that trial at the Diet of Worms, there were five distinctives or themes that were kind of pulled out of his 95 theses and came to become called what we would call the five solas today. Those five solas are that Scripture alone is our authority for understanding God's work in the world. Faith, uh, grace alone is how we understand God's attitude towards us. Faith alone is how we come into relationship with God. Christ alone is sufficient for salvation, and to all of this is to God's glory alone. And these five solas are the basis for what we believe as followers of Jesus, no matter our denomination or church background. These are the essentials of what it means to follow God in our lives today. And today we're going to focus on that first sola, and Luther states that Scripture alone is our authority for understanding God's work in the world. And we're going to spend some time unpacking what that means for us and how that impacts our daily lives, but I think that it's really, really important here that Luther has an amazing quote when he's at the Diet of Worms and the church tells him to recant, to take back everything that he said, otherwise he's gonna get kicked out of the church, which he has based his entire life around. He is a monk. His whole life is in service of the church. So he is giving up at this, at this moment, he is giving up what is central to, to who he is. It's his vocation, but it's also what he believes to be his calling, right? And so he has a really powerful statement for us, and I'm going to read it. And it says, since then, your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply. I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not take back anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Safe. The true rule is this. God's word shall establish articles of faith and no one, even an angel, can do so. God's word establishes articles of faith. Scripture alone is our authority in understanding God's work in the world. And the question for us is, where does authority lie? Where does authority lie? Does it lie with culture? Does it lie with our friends? Does it lie with our families? Does it even lie with our spouse or our partner? And where does that authority make a difference in our lives? Martin Luther would say that the power for understanding our faith isn't in anything but the revealed word of God and what the scriptures show us about who God is. In our culture, authority is up for grabs. But as followers of Jesus, our authority has to come from scripture. That's where our power and our authority lie. We want our conscience to be captive to the word of God. I just can't shake that. That is how, when, when I die someday and someone is speaking about my life, that may be the, the ultimate thing that they could say, that his conscience was captive to the word of God. And where did Martin Luther go to get the courage to say something like that, say something that was going to change his life forever? Well, he looked into Scripture to where Paul was talking about the authority of Scripture to to his disciple Timothy. So if you guys want to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, however you guys access the Scriptures, whether that is through your phone or on a Bible, and I'm going to begin to read, it says, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The purpose of the scriptures is to point us to Jesus. The Old and the New Testament law and grace, it all points to Jesus and to Jesus alone. Jesus says in the book of John, and this really sums this up, it says You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Everything here points to Jesus. It is the scriptures that help us and guide us to understand that truth, I'm in seminary right now and there's this uh, a lot of emphasis on studying the Bible in a very historical way which is really really good it's it helps us to understand what happened where it happened what are the results of it but when we when we get stuck in that mindset we oftentimes lose Jesus in the midst of it when it becomes a piece of literature when it becomes a collection of letters and poetry and historical accounts we lose the character arc of the Bible, which all points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus alone. And so we read scriptures with the purpose of knowing Jesus. Verse 16 says that all scripture is God-breathed, which means inspired, right? And it takes the writers who are everyday, normal, sinful people like you and me and it inspires their words and guided them as they wrote so that we could understand the truth of who God is. It's a book written over 1400 years with 40 authors and 66 books, with all different kinds of literature from history to poetry, to parables, to stories. But the important piece of this is that it is all God-breathed. And because it's all God-breathed, it's useful for teaching. And it's useful for teaching us about three things. The first of which is who God is, who God is. We turn to scripture to tell us who God is. In scripture, we find that God is merciful and that God is just, that God is wrathful, but He's also gracious, that God is loving, that he is all-knowing, that God is faithful. We find these things in scripture and we need to know who God is in times of pain and doubt and suffering. Because it's in those moments that we have to be able to have something to fall back on. And we have to fall back on the character of God as followers of Jesus. Because in our moments of pain and suffering, the thing that can make all the difference is knowing that God is faithful. No matter how this turns out, that God is faithful on the other side. And it tells us about who God is, but it also tells us about who we are. It also tells us about who we are, that we were created in the image of God. And honestly, I don't know if we would get there if we didn't look to the scriptures. If we look to the world around us, it is really easy to focus on the issues and the negatives and being judgmental. And we may never get to the point that we are created in the image of God. We see that we are broken, that we are in need of a Savior, and God has fulfilled that need in Jesus Christ. And where do we learn that? We learn that from Scripture alone. And so it tells us who God is, it tells us who we are, and it also tells us how to live. What do we do with this? How do we respond? How do we walk in light of these truths? We find that in Scripture. And so Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching. It's also useful for rebuking. And rebuking is this weird word that oftentimes we don't understand exactly what it's talking about, but really what Paul is saying here is that it's confronting the things that need to change in our life. So scripture enters into our life and it always requires us to change. Scripture always requires us to change because if we were to write it, we would write out all of the things that we don't like. We would write out all of the things that we struggle with and really don't challenge us to grow into the image of who God created us to be. Hebrews tells us that the word of God is alive and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirits, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Scripture comes in and it rebukes us. And when it judges our thoughts and our attitudes, it rebukes us and says, look, there is a better way to live. Tim Keller in The Reason for God points out that many people have an approach to the Bible that's akin to wanting a make-believe God. He calls it a Stratford God, but you would have to go into like the whole, like a whole different sort of thing, but it's essentially a make-believe God. And he says that if we were to pick and choose what we read and believe in the scriptures, you'll have a God essentially, Of your own making, not a God with whom you can have a relationship and a genuine interaction. He says only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle, as any real relationship or friendship, will you know that you have gotten hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. So, An authoritative Bible, he says, an authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is a precondition for it. If we just try and pick and choose what we hold true in our lives out of Scripture, what happens is we don't have a relationship. We don't have a relationship. Oftentimes, if we were to write the Scripture or we dig into the Scripture and we throw out what we don't like, what we're essentially trying to do is to create a moral compass that meets how we want to live. We want him to be exactly like what we want. And when we submit ourselves to the authoritative nature of scripture, it comes in and it rebukes us. It requires us to change. And so it rebukes us, but it also corrects us. And there's an important distinction between the two, rebuking and correcting. Scripture shows us the correct way to think and to act. It calls our life into question. And I'm not a political person, and Taylor can very, very much confirm that. I don't like talking about politics. It drives me crazy. And it generally is very divisive, but but as I was thinking about this and I was thinking about Scripture, I had this very deep conviction that I can't shake to say this very one thing. In the wake that of everything that has been going on around the country in terms of racial issues and racial reconciliation and race relations, no matter whether you land left or right or down the middle, there's one thing we as believers have to recognize. There is nowhere you can look in scripture and hold supremacy over another human being. There is nowhere in scripture that you can look and hold supremacy over another human being. You cannot find in scripture that you are better than anyone else. And that's speaking to everyone here. That's speaking to me too. And can someone make it up and say it's Christian? Sure they can. Sure they can, but you cannot go into Scripture and find it. I've looked. I've spent months looking. And the question is, how do we, in the world, do we know that the Bible is authoritative? Well, we know because Christ speaks through Scripture alone to a broken world. And it is very evident that it is broken. And if you want to go and check what we're supposed to do and to believe, then you go to Scripture alone. And it makes me so angry when I see someone who calls themselves a Christian go out and treat someone as lesser than because of their race or their gender or their identity. It makes me so angry because there is nowhere in Scripture that you can find that truth. And one of the biggest keys for us as Christians is to go back into scripture alone to seek understanding and wisdom and allow that to come in and to change us, to change us, to bring us into right belief and right action. And so it corrects us. It says here that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For every good work. And several months ago, um, I was Taylor and I were actually working out together. I had built this little ghetto gym in my basement, and we're working out together, and I dropped a real heavy weight on my left big toe. And last night, as I got in bed, it caught on the corner of the cover and ripped the whole sucker off. Just tore it off, and Taylor is all worked up because I'm literally punching myself and punching the bed because I am so, it like hurts so bad. And any of you guys who have ever trained for anything understand that training can be really, really hard. It comes with consequences. It comes with sore days. It comes with hurt muscles. It comes with smashed up toes. It is the dumbest looking toe ever right now, guys. It is so ugly, (laughs) It is so ugly. And like one little piece of the nail is still holding on, so it just like kind of sticks out. It's it's horrible. And so any of you guys who have ever trained for anything understand that it's, that it's hard. Training is inherently difficult. And for us, training in righteousness can be an incredibly difficult and bumpy process. And we fail so often to see our progress in the moment We can only focus on the end goal and how we're not there. We end up in that place where we feel very, very stagnant, but we see the joy when we look backwards. When we look backwards and we see where we were six months ago or a year ago or three years ago, and we see that progress, that the Lord has done so much work in us. He has trained us in righteousness so that we are more useful for him today than we were then. And why do we have joy? Joy comes because we are becoming the people God calls us to be. Joy comes because we are becoming the people God calls us to be. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this authoritative scripture? Well, for us as the average Christian, I think we need to get to know scripture. That's the easiest answer is that we need to get to know scripture. Biblical illiteracy is one of the things that is rampant in the church right now. And when it's rampant in the church, someone like me can get up on stage and tell you that this is who God is, this is how to act, and this is what to believe. And guess what? You have no idea if I'm telling the truth. You have no idea if I'm telling the truth. We need to get to know scripture so that we don't fall for anything that we don't fall for anything less than the authoritative word of God. Can you imagine how bad of a place you would be in if you believed everything you read on the internet? If suddenly you actually believed, and I talked to Bob about this, it was last week, that birds aren't real, and that we never went to the moon and that the earth is still flat. You'd be in a horrible place if you just started to believe everything you read on the internet. Scripture is critical for us to know so that we can have an accurate compass for our life because culture will never be an accurate compass. So here's what I would like for you guys to do. I want you guys to think of a scale from one over here to 10 over here. One being that you've never even read the Bible and kind of know where to find the table of contents. 10 being that you could rewrite Paul's epistles for him right now and correct his grammar. That's the scale, one to 10, right? And so I want you guys to ask the question of where are you on that scale? Is it a two? Is it a five? Is it an eight? And let me tell you guys something. That number does not define you. That number is not a judgment of how good of a follower of Jesus you are or how much like, reward there is for you. That's not true at all. That number is there for us to look at and ask the question, how do I move up one number this year? How do I move up one number from a two to a three or from a five to a six this semester? And I've got a couple of, I've got a couple of things for you guys to help out with that with that movement. And the first of which might be Reading the Bible for yourself. To decide that going to bed a half an hour earlier so that you can wake up in the morning and read scripture with your morning coffee instead of running out the door trying to get to class. To develop a personal habit of reading God's word. The second of which is committing to and participating in going to a community group. Going to a community group. If you aren't in a community group, I would plead with you from the stage, go to a community group. So many mistakes that I have made in my Christian life are, happened because even though I was a believer, even though I was pursuing Jesus, even though I was reading my Bible on a daily basis, I was in isolation. I did not have community around me. And guess what? The enemy wants you to be alone. The enemy wants you to be alone because even if you are all of those things, you are vulnerable by yourself. And so go to a community group. Be a part of of the community around you. Allow them to be your support system, your accountability, and your encouragement in that. And so we've got a slide. I'm going to use it. We've got a slide of all of these community groups. And I would plead with you guys find one that works for you find one that works for you and if somehow none of those work for you come find me i'm the guy who can make more of them like if there isn't a time if there isn't a date of the day of the week that works for you come find me we want to get you guys plugged in we want you guys to be in a community studying the word of god together and drawing closer to who jesus is the last thing The last thing here, so we've got spending time in the word on your own. We have going to a community group, being a part of a biblical community. The third piece of this is find someone to read the Bible with you. Ask someone to be your mentor. Ask someone to disciple you. Be in relationship with someone who is walking alongside of you. And if you guys don't know who that person is, come find me. I'm serious. Come find me. I'll get you hooked up. We got a lot of people here in this room and we have a lot of people here at this church that want nothing more than to go get coffee and to go get lunch with you, to invite you into their homes, to do life with you. This isn't about like really getting you hooked into something. This is just, we want to do life with you. And we want to do it in a very real and authentic way to show you that even though we are not perfect people, we serve a perfect God, and there's so much joy in that struggle. We want that for you guys. And it's critical for us to be asking the question, how do I move and continue to grow in understanding God's word more and more? That's the question. Am I allowing scripture to shape my life? Is it shaping who I am and who? what I am. You see, Scripture doesn't demand a discussion. It demands a decision. It isn't enough to sit around and to talk about it. We have to ask, am I going to allow the Word of God to shape my life on an everyday basis? Am I going to make that choice? Because it requires giving up some of the things that we have held so near and dear to our hearts that we don't want to allow the Lord the authority to speak into through his word. Martin Luther taught us a great lesson. Our authority does not live in people or in presidents or in what culture says, but it lies in the God that is revealed through scripture and came to life in Jesus Christ. There we find our authority for understanding life and God, and understanding ourselves as we become all that God wants us to become. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, God, when we come to it, Lord, that it confronts us. God, that it, that it confronts our, our unbelief and our wrong belief. But more than God, more than that, God, Lord, it confronts us with your love and your grace. Father, it confronts us with the sacrifice of your cross and enters into our life in a very real way that changes us from the inside out. So Father, Lord, Lord, we pray, God, that we would find our authority in your word alone, God, that it wouldn't be in what culture says, that it wouldn't be in what I say, it wouldn't be in their community group leader, God, but that it would be in your revealed word alone, God. There we find life, and life abundant, Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would spur us on to studying your word, Lord, that you would stir a passion deep in our hearts and in our souls for more of who you are, God, to experience that through what Scripture gives us, God. Lord, may we hold tightly to truth as those who only want more of you, God. We pray this all in your name. Amen.